Hello and welcome back to the TTL, Tatani Talks Life, the sheer where we talk a topic per session with some practical lessons. The Tani Talks Life is brought to you by the overall Tani Talks podcast with our five shows and our channel. We have the TTP, the Tani Talks Parsha, now most recently on NachamSiegel.com. TTPA on Thursday nights at 10 p.m. TTPA, Tani Talks, Pirkei Avos, TTD, Tani Talks Staff, TTOT, Tani Talks Occupational Therapy or Overtime or On Target, and of course this live show, TTL. They are hosted by JewishPodcast.fm. Come join us on this amazing platform, JewishPodcast.fm. Super easy to come join us. The shows are on different podcast forms, including iTunes Podcast, Google Podcast, Jewish Podcast, Sister App of Yidpod, and Spotify, Podbean, and the like. Download it today. We're also on the awesome Jewish Internet Kosher Radio Player that is NakiRadio.com. I love NakiRadio.com. I am a huge fan. And they have different ones. They have the solo with one speaker, the dual with two speakers, and the home. God willing, we're switching to the home, which has a remote control and a nice big basis. But they have really cool products, a beautiful, integrated, amazing online experience. And they have us as a channel on the podcast, the Tani Talks podcast. You can listen to all five on the Naki Radio as well. So join us today. I don't know if you heard the news yet, but Nachum Siegel Network, which I literally was just privileged to join for the Tani Talks Parsha on Thursday nights at 10 p.m., they sustained a massive fire over the weekend on Sunday afternoon, and the studio burned down. Lowell Lenny, which you never know from such things. The studio and its headliner, Nachum Siegel himself, hold a dear place in my heart. The studio, the channel, and Nachum Siegel is a real role model for me in my own life. That is a goal for me. I want to be an actual radio host myself, and this is a huge role model and an inspiration. We must do our part to help them rebuild bigger and better. Please help. Please donate. Please spread the message. Campaigns.causematch.com slash donate FJB dash fire campaigns.causematch.com slash donate fjb dash fire. This year is Lezecher Nishmas, Le'ilai Nishmas, my dad, Chaim Yitzchak Ben Michal, Shlomo, whose yard site is this Thursday night and Friday, as well as Lezecher Nishmas, Le'ilai Nishmas, my brother, whose yard site was last Monday. My brother, it's been 14 years. My dad, it's been about 25 years. We should only know from good things. And the shir should be Le'ilai Nishmas, Lezecher Nishmas, both of their Nishamos. And the shir should also be for the Rafuin Yeshua, of anyone who wants and anyone who needs. I'm, I, of course, am reachable anytime at MaximumTEE at Yahoo.com. Tonight's topic is the ability of disability. We often look at people and not realize the whole picture of those people around us. From an early age, really an early age, we do this. If we were to look at other people, really look at them and really understand them, maybe we can truly see them for who they are and what they are all about. Instead of focusing on a fault or a disability, we don't really know the whole picture, the whole story, the going-ons behind closed doors. We only see the outer layer, a small snippet of that person. We need to look at the whole person, not just, not just a disability aspect. From very early on in my own life, I felt an affinity to work with children and to help children, especially those with disabilities. The thing is, though, we should be focusing on only part of that word, ability, not disability, ability. Those who are different than us, 
differently empowered than us, differently charged than us, really have much to teach us and much to give over to us. I have worked in amazing organizations like Camp Hask, Yachar, Ohal Beis Ezra, Kids of Courage, and more, and can personally tell you that these kids, these individuals have so much to teach us, so much for us to learn from. In fact, it is said that a great sage would stand for a person with special needs because they have such a special neshama. We can learn from them and realize they have such abilities. In fact, in Perkei Avos, teaches us in 4.1, we just talked about it on the TTPA just a couple of days ago, a couple of weeks ago. Ben Zoma asks us, who is a wise person? Ezahu Chacham. Who is really a wise person? Halomeid Mikol Adam. He who learns from every single person. Ezahu Chacham. Halomeid Mikol Adam. I'd like to say, and this is not my chiddush, not my ingenious idea, but Commentators have said before me, look at the wording of that Mishnah itself. Hakol, halomen mikol adam, mikol ha'adam. I'd like to say, and others have pointed out, if we look at the words mikol adam, it teaches us we have to look at the whole person. Mikol adam, not mechutz adam or me. Bayit Adam or Mirosh Adam, Mikol Adam, from the whole person, the full person, all their capabilities, and not just one aspect of 1% of their life that is their disability or handicap or the trait that they might have to work on. Perkei teaches us in 420, in Perak Dalad Mishnachav, Rebbe Omer, Al-Tistakel Bekankan Ela Bemasha Yeshbo. Do not look at the container, but that which is in it, Rebbe teaches us. Yesh kan kan chadash malayashan. There is a new container full of old wine. V'yesh afilu chadash ain't bo. And an old container in which there is not even new wine. Don't look at the container, but at that which is in it. There is a new container full of old wine. And an old container in which there is not even new wine. Oftentimes, we're not seeing the true person, the true inner contents, the true story of a person. Sometimes we look just at the container, but we forget what's inside that container, what is contained in that container, what is held in that container. Of course, the phrase in secular society, the quote by George Eliot is probably taken from this quote, which is much, much older than that. Don't judge a book by its cover from George Eliot. Don't just look at the outside, the disability, the external, and judge the rest. We shouldn't even judge at all. I like to say often the only judging we should ever do if we feel we have to judge, because really there's only one judge in the world, Hashem, the only judging really allowed is Don Lekav Zechus, judging for the side of benefit, of doubt for other people, judging for the favor, for the benefit of another person. The English idiom, don't judge a book by its cover, from George Eliot, is a metaphorical phrase that means one should not judge the worth or value of something by its outward appearance alone. For example, that man may look very small and insignificant, but don't judge a book by its cover. He's a very powerful man in his circle, as Wikipedia explains. Also, there's another phrase that stands out to me when we're thinking about this. You never know what goes on behind closed doors. We don't really know what's going on in someone's life or inside someone's essence, inside someone's body. We have very little access to the real details, to the real story. And oftentimes, we are missing so much ability and so much information by only looking at the surface.
Michelle Thaler says on H.com, if a person says, I have a disability, Lovellino, and I have an illness, but I am not the disability, nor I am not the illness, that's a way of looking at and compartmentalizing, compartmentalizing, excuse me, putting the disability aside, putting the weakness aside, putting the difficulty or disability aside, you are not the disability, you are not the bad trait, you are not the illness, not the weakness. I am a woman, I am a man, healthy in my mind, in my attitude, in my approach to life. And if I cannot get out of bed today because of pain or other issues, God forbid, well, thank God tomorrow is another day. Don't define yourself by any lack or any issue or any problem or any trait. Define yourself by positivity, by goodness, by accomplishment. Take it day by day and do so for others around you as well. The Torah points out in Vayikra, Perak Yudted, Pasik Yudalad, you shall not insult the deaf or place a stumbling block before the blind. And that doesn't just mean the physical stumbling block. A lot of people think that means physically I cannot put like a cement block in front of a, a person who is not able to see because they'll stumble. But it means anyone, don't trick anyone, don't lead anyone down the wrong path. Don't try to give bad advice, don't send them down the wrong alleyway, God forbid. Don't do other things that could hurt someone, that could be a stumbling block metaphorical, physical, literal, or otherwise, emotional. Do what you can to help those around you. You shall fear your God. I am Hashem. The Pasuk tells us we have to realize to make sure to make things easier for others around you. Don't try to trick them up. Don't try to trip them up or make them stumble or fall in any way. We have to care for those who are missing an element in their life, whether a widower or an orphan or a convert or someone who has disabilities or difficulties as well. In fact, look at who one of the greatest leaders, basically, one of the greatest people ever to live on this earth, to walk this earth. Shemos, Perek Dalad, Pasagyud. Moshe said to Hashem, Please, O my Lord, I've never been a man of words, either in times past or now, that you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Moshe wasn't a silver-tongued orator. That was his brother Aharon. Moshe, from young age, the Medrash says, when he was presented with hot coals or or jewelry, and and there was an angel there, and it was trying, trying to go either way, he ended up touching the hot coals to his his tongue and the tongue basically got burnt. He was never able to speak without a lisp. Moshe was one of the greatest leaders, the greatest Nevi'im ever to walk the earth. Isn't it interesting that Moshe himself, by nowadays definitions, could have been seen to have a disability or a difficulty, but would ever anyone ever judge Moshe by that or measure his greatness by that? How, in, how incredulous would that be? How crazy would that be? The Chorod 44a points out in the Talmud, Rav Huna was pointing at Rav Yehuda, who had abnormal eyes, and Rav Yehuda took offense. There are many sages in the Tanakh, in the Talmud, rather, that talk about different things. You know, they talk about different people who are very overweight, different people that weren't so sightly, different people that had very long eyelashes, and this and that, that talks about in the Talmud all the time. But these were still great sages, still great leaders, still great people in their own right. And if you judge them based on their disability, you would never understand how much ability they really have. Moshe was one of the greatest leaders of all time, taking the Jews out of slavery and out of Egypt, yet he had a major speech impediment. 
Nowadays in the IEP system in the city, I work in the city, they would maybe call it SLI, speech language impairment. How crazy. And he needed Aharon, Aaron, his brother, to be the spokesman, the silver-tongued orator, to help him out. Some sages, like the one that came up in the Gemara recently, could not see or had other difficulties, such as very overweight or very difficulty to get around, different aspects that, that they couldn't see so well. There were so many things throughout the Talmud and throughout Tanakh. But if we focus on the ability, we could focus on their greatness and what they could get done. The question is, what could be done to help these people? What could be done to help them? We could be their spokesman. We could be their guide. We could be their mentor. We could be their seeing eye dog, quote unquote, and their support. Be that crutch. Be that clutch for someone else. And make sure not to judge them just based on the crutch, just based on the difficulty in their life. Mishle points out in Parak Lamad Aleph Pasikhet, speak up for those with disabilities. Speak up for the rights of all the unfortunate. Way before there was ever any social justice or it was majorly socially appropriate to follow these social justice needs, way back hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, the greatest Chacham to ever live, Shlomo Melcho may have been one of the smartest people of all time, says in Mishle, speak up for those with disabilities. Speak up for the rights of all the unfortunate. Perkyavos also points out in Perak Dalad Mishnah Gimel, Hu Haya Omer, he used to say al Tahibaz Lachaladam, do not despise any man, do not discriminate against anything, Sha'in Lacha Adam Sha'in Lo Sha'ah, for there is no man that has not his hour. And there is no thing that has not its place. There is a place and a time, a time and a place for everything, a time and a place for everyone. There is a reason why every single one of us are on this earth. There is a reason why every single one of us is here. We have something to accomplish, something to do, something to bring to the forefront. Don't even think, even having a Havimina, God forbid, or looking at the disability, looking at the difficulty, God forbid, making fun of anyone that has a disability or difficulty, chas v'shalom. Everyone has a reason for being here. Everyone has their hour, has their 15 minutes of fame, has their ability to contribute to the world. There's something we could learn from everyone. Ezeho chacham halomeid mikol adam. From the whole aspect of every person, from the totality of every person, there's always something that can be learned. Eruvin 54b points out a fascinating story that is very famous. Rabbi Elazar said a person is obligated to teach his, story, his student, Torah, his student lesson four times. A person has to teach Torah to his student for four times. It follows, by the way, of a Kavachomer. If Aharon, who learned from Moshe himself, Moshe had received the Torah from Hashem, needed this regimen, an ordinary student learning from an ordinary teacher, how much more so? Must review his stories four times. They say that Moshe learned it from Hashem. Moshe then taught it to Aaron. Moshe then taught it to Aaron's sons. Moshe then taught it to the Zikanim. And then taught it to the Jewish people. How many times did Moshe teach the Torah lesson? Many times. So how much more so a regular person had to learn it many times? Rabbi Kiva says, from where do we know that a person is obligated to teach his student until he learns the material and understands it? As it is stated now, therefore, write this song for yourselves. Kiss Vulechem et Hazos. And teach it to the children of Israel. Put in their mouths 
This song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel from Devarim. It teaches us that Mon must teach Torah to others. How do we know that you must teach the material until it's organized in their mouths as it is said, put it in their mouths? Simba passed, so they'd be capable of teaching it to others. If you cannot explain a concept to someone else, that means that by definition you don't understand the concept well enough yourself. If you cannot explain an idea to someone else, by definition, it means you do not understand the idea well enough yourself. If you could explain it to someone else, that means you yourself know it enough. If you can't, then you yourself don't know it. How do we know that a teacher must show his students the reason for the teaching? It states, now these are the judgments which shall set before them from Shemos. The lesson must be in a logical fashion that the students can understand. The Gemara relates, Rabbi Preda had a certain student whom he would have to teach 400 times. And I'm not saying four times, 400 times here on Erevin 54b. That's a lot of times. And only then would he learn the material as he was incapable of understanding it otherwise. Do you think this student might have had a learning difficulty? Nowadays, they would have classified him as LD or, or something else, learning disabled, learning difficulty. 400 times he had to learn it. And this story is straight up in the Gemara. After this, he would finally learn the material. One day, the request of Rabbi Prater's presence for a mitzvah matter after the lesson. Rabbi Prater taught his student the usual 400 times as usual, but this time the student did not successfully learn the material. So Rabbi Prater is thinking, Usually I teach this 400 times and he gets it. What is different about today? He doesn't get it. So Rabbi Prater asks him point blank, what is different now that you're unable to grasp the lesson? So the student answers, from the time that they told the master, there is a mitzvah matter for which he is needed. My mind was distracted from the lesson. And every moment I said, now the master will get up. Now the master will get up. Now he will go do the mitzvah. He will not complete the lesson. So basically the student was distracted the whole time. Could not focus. Does that ring any bells? Nowadays that would be called ADHD or ADD. Not being able to focus, being distracted, hyper aware, hypersensitive to the stimuli around him. Not being able to focus. Rabbi Prater says to him, pay attention this time and I will teach you. And know that I will not leave you until you have fully mastered the lesson. He taught him again an additional 400 times. Suffice it to say, I do not think Rabbi Prater made it in time for the Shmorg. Hopefully he made it in time for the Chuppah, if he was the Masader. Hopefully he made it in time, but he taught it not only the first 400 times, but again another 400 times. I don't know if the Gemara is literal, that he literally went through it 800 times, but suffice it to say, he went through it many, 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 many times. Due to the merit of Rabbi Prater's great sacrifice and great devotion to his students, a baskal, a device, voice comes out and says, it is preferable, is it preferable for you to have 400 years to your life or that the whole generation gets the merit of the world to come, including yourself? He says, I and my generation should get the world to come. That is what I prefer. Hashem says, give him both. He shall live a long life and him and his generation will get the world to come. It's like Shlomo Melech when Hashem asks, what would you like? Shlomo, do you want you know, pearls? Do you want money? Do you want long life? Do you want wisdom? Shlomo says, please give me wisdom. And Hashem says, because you asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you everything. Here too, 
Hashem asks him what he wants, and Hashem gives him both anyway. And the Gemara talks about how the Torah is acquired through work. The Torah is acquired through mnemonic aids, mnemonic signs to aid the memory. As it says, put in their mouths. Do not read the phrase, put it sima, but rather as its sign, simana, indicating that for all of us, mnemonic signs, mnemonic aids can memorize and help to retain the material. I myself, Lahavdom, in college, in grad school, in high school, especially when learning different things. I need mnemonic devices. I remember going through anatomy. I was in occupational therapy school, grad school. A lot, a lot of difficult things to learn. A lot of difficult things to remember. You have to think about all the muscles, all the bones, all the nerves, the originations, where they start, their terminations, where they end, what they innervate, what they accomplish, what action they'll do. So at least you have to know where they start, where they end, and the action that they do. So for a lot of things, it would be very difficult. So I used to have a, a mnemonic device, and I would say, Schweber! So Schweber was like this, Artorius, and the, and the this, and the that, would laterally abduct, like make the limb go away from the body. And if there was a, another one, I'd have to think of different terms. You know, even the cranial nerves, oh, 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 to touch and feel, very good velvet, ah, I still remember that. Amazing mnemonic device, because there are 10 cranial nerves. Each one of those letters represents another one so it's olfactory and it is um the optic and then it's the the uh i, I forget already but there's a then there's the vagus everything stay whatever happens in vegas stays in vegas vegas controls everything inside the body so that was another mnemonic for us vegas v-a-g-u-s not v-e-g-a-s but it's the same if you're able to use mnemonic devices you're able to use mnemonic signs it can help you studying it can help you in non-Torah matters, when the Torah matters too. How could it be that I remember to this day, Vegas, everything stays in Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. What happens in the Vegas nerve in the body stays within the body, stays within the nerves, because it's all Vegas. It's all Vegas. So we would have different mnemonic devices, and I would try to help my classmates. I would try to tutor my classmates, especially anatomy and kinesiology and um and uh, different different topics like that were very, very interesting to me. And if I was able to master it myself, then I could teach it to others. Only when I mastered it myself, when I understood it myself, and I could think of mnemonic devices, I could think of ways, whether singing or, or humming or phraseologies or mnemonic aids, mnemonic devices, writing things out. Those were all ways that I got through grad school, always to learn lahavdil for Torah matters and lahavdil for non-Torah matters. And here to it saying, we've got to use mnemonic signs and mnemonic aids. Does that mean that we, chas v'shalom, have learning difficulties? Does that mean we have disabilities in how we learn? No, everyone needs a little help. Everyone needs a little bit of mnemonic aids and devices. So when we're looking at other people, don't look at a disability. Don't look at a difficulty. Look at their ability. Look at what they could contribute. Look at what they could help and what they could bring to the table. Sometimes we ourselves need to have patience to understand differently enabled individuals, to teach them in the right way and the proper way. Have a little extra patience. Have a little extra concern. Have a little extra ability for them. I want to point out the idea, which I think is a little backwards in society. There's so much social justice for the poor person, for the person who has a gender identity confusion, which I don't agree with at all, of course, a male and a female, that's it. But when it comes to things in general, there's so many social issues. But what's really lacking, I think on some level, is the idea of the people first language, the person first language. Have you ever heard of this? odr.dc.gov slash page slash people dash first dash language points out 
The People First Respectful Language Modernization Act of 2006 was enacted by the Council of the District of Columbia by the Capitol on July 11, 2006 to require the use of respectful language when referring to people with disabilities in all new and revised district laws, regulations, rules, and publications, and all Internet publications. Person First Language, or People First Language, PFL, puts the person before the disability and describes what a person has, not who a person is. PFL uses phrases such as a person with a disability, individuals with disabilities, differently enabled individuals, differently abled individuals, children with disabilities, as opposed to phrases that identify people based solely on their disabilities, such as the disabled, the handicapped, the wheelchair user, the autism kid, the autistic kid, the Down syndrome kid. That is not how we should talk about people. That is not how we should refer to people. The phrase mental schmitardation, I don't even like saying the phrase itself, and it, it boils my blood, is offensive and outdated. The terms developmental disability is much better. Cognitive disability or intellectual disability, which is really the best one, ID, may be substituted as more respectful options. For example, to take an outdated or offensive terminology and to replace it with PFL would be like this. Instead of saying autistic... You say the child has autism. Instead of saying someone who is crippled, God forbid, someone who has a disability. Instead of saying the Down syndrome kid, someone who suffers from Down syndrome or someone that was born with Down syndrome, even better. The wheelchair user, nope. Or the wheelchair bound, nope. The person who happens to need a wheelchair for mobility. Yes, it's a little more wordy. Yes, it takes more words, but it's much better to talk with people in this way to give them the respect that they deserve than to define them by that one aspect, that one disability. A person who uses a wheelchair, a person who uses a mobility chair, not someone who is wheelchair bound. They're not bound to the wheelchair. Their wheelchair is there to serve them, to help them. They're not serving the wheelchair. The wheelchair is serving them. So why define them by being serving to the wheelchair? Define them by the fact that they're a differently enabled person who happens to use a wheelchair to get around. Adina Sokolov points out on H.com, we need to have an objective and positive viewpoint of children and any disabilities. We all know people who struggled in school, but once they left, saw professionally and personally. Your academic career does not define you. The attitude can spill over to children. It can help children know that they can find their talents and with persistence and support, they can achieve their dreams by being a champion. Children with learning disabilities often suffer from low self-esteem and shame. They need parents to help build them up from the inside out. They need their parents to be their champions. Children who have parents who will offer ongoing support and encouragement are the ones who are more likely to overcome any disability. Parents want to let their children know that they are a person worthy of respect, separate from their performance in school. They can do this by pointing out their strengths and helping them pursue their interests, believing that their child will have a bright future. They can also serve as a safe base for when other people may shame and tease their child, God forbid. Help children identify an interest or a hobby. Children with learning disabilities need something to do that is pure pleasure for them, an outlet where they are immersed in their strengths and interests. For example, drama, art, music, animals, insects, sports, science, or computers, anything that they could tap into for a hobby. It allows a child to shine in at least one area 
outside of academics. They can see themselves as a multifaceted person, not just bound by the difficulties in school. I think of a show I watched, La Havala, about a kid with superhero powers. One of the main people on that show was his friend, Esmeralda, a kid who happened to use a wheelchair to get around. When people look at Esmeralda, what do they see? Unfortunately, often they see the chair. They see the kid that's confined to the chair, but they don't see her amazing ability to do different things. They put her in the school play, this kid who was maybe eight or nine, and she shone like a star. She belted out the tune, and everybody was transfixed. She had a standing ovation. But what do you think they saw before she opened her mouth to sing? What do you think they saw before she opened her mouth to let out those wonderful notes, to let out the wonderful aspects? They saw someone in the chair. We have to find outlets, different abilities for these children and these people to shine. It might take a while for children to find their interests. We can encourage children by exposing them to different activities and be patient as a child finds their way. Make sure to treat children with respect. Parents can help children view themselves as people who are valuable and deserving of respect. They need to be treated as a person with many dimensions, letting their strengths, not their weaknesses, define them as a person. Parents can guide children to make decisions, involve them, and take their opinions into account. They can be included in discussions about where to vacation, dinner choices, what chores they should be responsible for. Don't treat them, God forbid, as an invalid. Let them help out in the best way they can. At the dinner table, invite their involvement in the discussion. Encourage them to share their opinion and take them seriously. It shows the children you value them, and it's a great way to help them set the stage for their future when they need to stand up and be heard. Be a role model. Make sure children can find a role model or a mentor. It could be someone who has a learning disability also who is able to succeed despite their challenges. Focus on perseverance and effort. Children with learning disabilities are so often criticized and put down. It's helpful for parents to praise children with a focus on the ability to work hard, the ability, not disability, to put in effort and persevere. Studies have shown that children who are praised in this way are motivated to learn and will challenge themselves academically even if they struggle. They tend to feel that they have control over their intelligence and by increasing their effort, they can succeed in school. This can be a huge boom to the struggling student. Take time for yourself and the, and the child and the person should take, should take time for themselves as well. Depending on the nature and severity of the child's disability, there might be an inordinate amount of time managing the child's school life. Many parents feel much stress. They feel they are their child's caregiver, case manager, tutor, advocate, and lawyer all wrapped into one. There are times when they just need to take a break and can't do it all. The best thing to do is to have a calm parent. That means they need to take care of themselves, go out, take a walk, meet with friends, get a Starbucks, get a Dunkin', treat yourself. And make sure to enjoy the child. Children are children. They need to enjoy their child, and parents should enjoy their children. Don't make every vacation day a long series of tutoring sessions and weekends and to catch up time for homework. You need to find the balance between helping the children with their schoolwork and delighting in their accomplishments, however small they might be. Understand that a child is a child, is more than their disability, is more than their diagnosis, more than their label, more than their IQ level. They have so much to contribute. We just have to look at them truly inside and see. 
H.com points out, as the Passover Haggadah tells us, and Passover is coming in just a few weeks, don't remind me, even if a child has no capacity to inquire, we are obligated to teach him the commandments. The Talmud points out in Erevin 54b, the story of the great sage we talked about, Rabbi Pradam, that had a student that needed his lesson repeated 400 times. One day it took twice that time for those 800 patient repetitions. God rewarded Rav Prater with a long life and granted him and his entire generation the world to come. The Chazonish was the one who would rise when a person with Down syndrome came into the room in recognition of an elevated soul. Other rabbis claim that people with Down syndrome are in some way angelic or perhaps reincarnated tzaddik and righteous people whose souls require only minor repair. For example, a parent example discusses the story of Julia. Instead of getting stuck in what if things go wrong, they concentrated on what they knew they could do right. With optimism, realism, and persistence, the child made it through kindergarten, and then first grade, and second grade, and third grade. She took her turn as class chazanit, wrote a book report on Marco Polo, made a stamp album featuring all seven continents. Now in fourth grade, Julia is an avid reader and enthusiastic Torah student. She does her homework every night, and she loves to eat pizza with her friends. This is what can happen if Jewish people see people with with Down syndrome or other disabilities, quote-unquote, or other difficulties as people, real people who are worthy of friendship and respect. This is what can happen when Torah values like kindness, fairness, and Ahavat Yisrael, real Ahavat Yisrael, loving your fellow Jew, can get put into action. Many communities have made a lot of progress in school, shul, and social inclusion. More and more Jewish schools are welcoming students with Down syndrome. But the added tuition can be prohibitively expensive. Most communities will not cover the cost, despite several well-known halakha decisions holding that Jewish education for children with special needs is a community obligation. We need to take that next step and make Jewish education a reality for all of our kids. It's true that a person's value is not determined by his or her capabilities and that we need to appreciate the intrinsic worth of one's Jewish soul, but at the same time, if we really value people regardless of their limitations, we would do all we can to include Jews with Down syndrome and other difficulties into community life, because that is the Torah way. Focus on the ability. Focus on what they can do. Focus on the good inside each and every one of them. Rabbi Simmons points out on H.com, imagine being an Israeli kid with Down syndrome and dreaming one day of becoming a soldier in the IDF. Imagine the parents dreaming to see this special child gain an independent life. Now imagine this dream becoming reality. Great in Uniform is a project that integrates young people with disabilities into the IDF as soldiers in every aspect, including in uniform. The goal is to provide a successful path of integration into society. It all started in 2001 when IDF Lieutenant Colonel Ariel Almag was driving in the Jordan Valley and spotted a terrorist approaching a bus full of passengers. After a short struggle, Almag succeeded in neutralizing the terrorist, who was wearing three explosive devices. Then suddenly shots were fired at Almag from a nearby olive grove. A backup terrorist was there to assist in the planned carnage. Almag was shot in the head, but miraculously managed to fire his own weapon and neutralize the second terrorist as well. Amazing. While recuperating for months in the hospital, Almag was exposed to many injured people with disabilities. It was then he conceived of incorporating disabled teens, teens with disabilities rather, into the IDF. 
Today, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Belanitsky of the Israeli organization Lend a Hand is on board to expand the project to include thousands more teenagers throughout the country. Rabbi Belanitsky is driven to fulfill the Torah precept of Via Hafta Lareacha Kamocha, love your neighbor as yourself, and sanctify God's name, Kiddush Hashem. By working in the IDF kitchens and supply depots, the project enables young men and women to preserve their human dignity while gaining skills to contribute meaningfully to society. A team of psychologists and social workers accompany the soldiers throughout the program. It's something all of Israel can be proud of. It's something all of the world can be proud of. This is the way. This is how we should go about it. This is a great inspiration for all of us. I think about different premier Jewish organizations that deal with children with disabilities, that deal with children with difficulties. I think about Yachad, an organization I worked in for five years, especially for the junior division, 8 to 15 years old, of children with special needs as an advisor and then a coordinator for Yachad with their events and their Shabbatons. They explain on their website that their mission their mission statement is that they are dedicated to enriching the lives of Jewish individuals with disabilities and their families by enhancing their communal participation and their connection to Judaism through social and educational programs and support services. Those Shabbatonim, those Shabbatons were awesome. The values is that the Torah is involved. Yachad is a Jewish organization that is driven and guided by Torah values in all aspects of its operation and programming, beginning with the firm belief that every person is made with Selma Lokim in God's image. image. Health and safety, Yachad is committed to running all its programs and services in a physically, emotionally, and spiritually healthy and safe environment. Inclusion and belonging, Yachad believes that every Jew, every Jew, deserves opportunities to participate in the Jewish community in a way that is meaningful and that gives them a true sense of belonging. The whole family approach, Yachad believes in the fundamental importance of working with the entire family, providing them with clinical support, education, and respite. Staff, Yachad emphasizes personal professional growth for the staff through learning collaboratives, training exercises with a culture that encourages innovation. The staff is cultivated to be responsible, passionate, creative, curious, flexible, and growth-oriented. The volunteers are emphasized by Yachad to have Jewish growth for the volunteers to aspire to create future Jewish communal leaders who are deeply committed to Judaism and the Jewish community. Collaboration. Yachad seeks to leverage the strength of other organizations by pursuing opportunities to collaborate and trust. Yachad is committed to earning the Jewish community's trust through transparency, accountability, and superb customer service. They do wonderful programs and wonderful Shabbatonim, Shabbatons. I had a blast working for them for all those years. They do wonderful, wonderful stuff. There's so many programs. The children are included in a beautiful and immersive experience. I think about Camp Hask, a camp I worked in for three summers, 2007, 2008, 2009, for two years with teenagers in the junior division, which it was called back then, and one year with younger kids in the ECP division, which it was called back then. ECP. ECPs. Five, four, three, two, one. ECP. ECP. Early Childhood Program. And then the other one was da 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 Juniors. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Juniors. Of course, they changed the name since then. And I don't know what the catchy uh, slogans were, but that's what we had when I was there. 
And this camp was a wonderful, wonderful experience. We even tried to raise money for them in college when I was part of the Chesed Club, first as the vice president, then as the president. And we ended up giving uh, some good money to them as well with the stand-up comedy event. But this is a wonderful, wonderful camp. They operate education for children during the year as well as vocational training and day hub, among other services. They explain on their website, for more than 40 years... Camp Hask, as part of the Hebrew Academy for Special Children, has served the Jewish community as the premier summer program for children and adults with special needs, intellectual and physical disabilities. Camp Hask is unique in its ability to meet the complex personal, social, therapeutic, and medical needs of the very special campers who enjoy a seven-week, seven-week sleepaway camp experience just like many of their siblings and friends. Camp Hask is unique in its synthesis of academic and recreational programming, and Hask they seek to maximize the development of each individual's potential by providing special education, speech, physical, occupational musical therapies, as well as compu- computer instruction, adaptive physical education, and adaptive aquatics. It is at Camp Hask that I was inspired to become an OT. It is at Camp Hask that I saw in the therapy room that I want to be an OT. And I myself am an OT. Hand in hand with their academic program, the campers are able to participate in the full range of recreational activities, including but not limited to sports, swimming, field trips, night activities, Torah learning, roller skating, carnivals, concerts, and mainstream social programs with other camps. As a result, these special children and adults often gain skills and achieve milestones beyond the scope of parental expectations while enjoying enjoyable activities in a stress-free social environment. There is no doubt that the real secret between the success of Camp Hask is the tremendous effort of the over 400 young men and women who serve as counselors and support staff. Living with the campers 24 hours a day with their determination and love, these counselors and support staff are able to drive home lessons learned in the classroom as well as on the playground, providing a total nurturing environment in which the campers can thrive. No wonder so many visitors to Camp Hask use the word magical in describing what they see. It is a beautiful and wonderful seven-week experience that flies by. The tremendous atmosphere is hard to explain, but it is fantastic to be a part of and to watch. This is the way. This is how we should view and see those with challenges. I think about Kids of Courage, an organization I worked with for two summers back in 2010 and 2011, I believe, or maybe 2009, 2010, somewhere around there. I worked with them for two summers, a 10-day excursion twice, and I went once on a winter retreat, a winter weekend to Vermont. I can't remember where it was, but we also went to a winter retreat where everyone got to go snow tubing, snow sledding. All campers were able to go, and it was adaptive, amazing. And it was wonderful. Kids of Courage explains on their website, the mission is that Kids of Courage is a groundbreaking volunteer-centric organization dedicated to the support of sick children and their families day and night, 365 days a year. Founded in 2008, Kids of Courage is committed to change the way people look at illness and open up a world of support, hope, and opportunity for every sick child and family, no matter how serious the diagnosis is. The goal is to provide practical and emotional support for sick children and their families, to open the world to kids who would otherwise be confined to their homes and hospitals, to educate the public about inclusion and diversity by involving the community, to be a true community-driven volunteer organization, to maximize involvement from the community, to attract the best professionals to donate their time and talent, to minimize expenses, fundraising costs, no glossy magazines, to rent free their office as well. These heroic children battle for their lives, sometime for every breath. 
They inspire others with their strength, tenacity, and dazzling will to live. We are giving them the opportunity to live like other children. Experience life in the best way imaginable. We help them forget the tubes and the pumps and the needles and the daily challenges and experience the thrills of carefree childhood happiness. But Kids of Courage is also about the families who care for their sons, daughters, brothers, and sisters every day without rest by providing year-round activities for the entire family, medically supervised dream trips. We give them the opportunity to relax and recuperate from the physically and emotionally exhausting lifestyles they lead. Kids of Courage, Kids of Courage, oh yeah, Kids of Courage, was one of the songs when I was there, serves hundreds of families from all over the country. We help everyone regardless of their religion, social, or economic background. The programming goes on all year, complete with trips, weekends, and fun events. All services provided are free to the children and families, firmly believing that these families have had enough burdens in their lives without worrying about the finances needed to participate in our activities. They rely wholly on charitable donations that receive from generous donors. They look at the, the individual, but they look beyond the tubes, beyond the machines, beyond the devices, beyond the chairs. They see their ability, their true worth and essence. And they really see the ability of disability. I tell you, the trips they took were fascinating. One year we went to Los Angeles. One year we went to San Francisco. And every day was jam-packed. It was literally physically and emotionally draining. One of the years I was actually dating my wife, and I didn't get to see her for that whole week, that whole week and a half experience. She was not happy. I was not happy about that either. I tried calling her one time late at night. They were not happy about that on the video chat back in the days. But it was a fascinating thing, and we went, and every day we would have a jam-packed day. One day we went to Madame Tussauds, one day we went to a baseball game, one day we went to the park, one day we went to the the uh, SeaWorld, which was awesome. I had a camper, Shimmy, who was awesome, awesome, awesome. He was someone that used a wheelchair, cerebral palsy, but a fascinating kid. He was very much with it, you know, mentally, because CP is a very physically challenging diagnosis but mentally often they're there and you could have conversations you could talk to them i actually brought my wife to meet him when we were dating we took him out it was such a wonderful wonderful trip such a wonderful experience and the whole plane was charted each way which is amazing it was all for the campers such a good experience such a nice thing it was a beautiful beautiful thing to be a part of if you don't know about them check them out Camp Simcha also does wonderful things as well. Though I was never privileged to work with them, they do fascinating things. They explain on their website, fun, fun, fun. It's what every child deserves and what Camp Simcha delivers to children and teens with the big C and other blood disorders. The mission is to bring childhood back to children who lost it when they were diagnosed. To do that, they mix the best of camp activities, sports, arts and crafts, swimming and boating, camp shows, special events and activities with the leadership of trained and compassionate counselors who specialize in keeping cancers laughing Campers laughing from early morning to late at night. I will also say, by the way, Camp Hask, most things are brought to the campers in the camp. Camp Simcha, I believe most things are brought to the campers in the camp. Kids of Courage, the kids are brought somewhere else. So that's the difference. Kids of Courage, we take them on a plane and we fly them across the country. We bring them to places. We bring them out. In Hask and Simcha, things are brought to them. That's a difference that I would just point out. Anyway, each camper has his or her own counselor, a guide and friend who ensures that every minute of camp life exceeds expectations. The specialists ensure that children can follow their interests and hone their talents in arts and crafts, music, adaptive sports, dramatics, or a host of other activities. They accept campers in all phases of treatment, including post-treatment. The camp's medical and administrative staff, experts in caring for seriously ill children, ensure that the highest standards of health and safety are always met. Obviously, it's fully kosher and special diets and feeding routines are accommodated. 
It's located on a beautiful 125-anchor campus in New York's scenic Catskills. It's a summer filled with recreation, entertainment, amusement, friendship, laughter, good times, and great people. They also have something called Camp Simcha Special. Camp Simcha Special, as explained on their website, until 2001, overnight summer camp was only a fantasy for children and teens with chronic illnesses and disabilities. Now the dream has come true. Every summer, Camp Simcha Special welcomes 230 children and teens with a wide range of multiple diagnoses for two weeks of fun, friendship, and personal growth. I believe Simcha Regular is two weeks and Simcha Special is two weeks. Hask is seven weeks. Non-stop activities, bunk spirits, singing and dancing encourage independence and build self-confidence. It is a unique opportunity for children fighting chronic illness to build a community of people with whom to share hopes and dreams as they grow. From baseball to photography, videography, arts and crafts, to boating, swimming, to rocketry, talent shows to color work, campers follow their interests and develop new skills in an environment created with them in mind. Each camper has his or her own trained counselor, a guide and special friend who ensures that every minute of camp life exceeds expectations. As a result, Camp Simcha Special is a place where I can't is replaced by, wow, that was fun. The camp's medical and administrative staffs are, expert, are experts in caring for children with serious or debilitating chronic disorders. As a result, they can welcome children dependent on wheelchairs or walkers, respirators, gastric tubes, G-tubes, and other medical equipment. I actually had a camper with a G-tube my last year in camp. Very interesting, very difficult to worry about, but very interesting. Something to take care of, something to keep eating when they can't eat so well. Little later. The camp is fully kosher and special diets and feeding routines are accommodated. Camp Simcha is located on a beautiful 125-acre campus in New York's scenic Catskill Mountains. They also launched an initiative during COVID-19. During the pandemic, the height of the pandemic called, and I love the name, Camp Simcha Without Borders. They explain on their site, launched in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, Camp Simcha Without Borders was developed to bring the magic of Simcha to children and communities across the country. Camp Simcha Without Borders operates day camps and hosts special events in cities across the United States and across the globe, providing children who are unable to travel the opportunity to enjoy Simcha in their own hometowns. The program is open to high lifeline clients and their siblings. The program's top priority is the health and safety of campers and staff. The program is designed in consultation with leading medical experts and conforms to local, local state regulations. In 2020, more than 1,200 children took part in the inaugural summer of Camp Simcha Without Borders. Camps, programs, and special events took place in Baltimore, Chicago, Miami, Los Angeles, Lakewood, Muncie, Brooklyn, Queens, Long Island, Philadelphia, Canada, England, and Israel. What a beautiful way to give the children a way to feel like a child full of ability, full of what they can do in awesome ways. I also think of Ohel Base Ezra, an organization that I worked for in a summer in the past as well, and on their inaugural weekend in Camp Cayley. The organization offers many programs and tools to help the Jewish public. Ohel explains on their site, and I actually use Ohel for my own weekly therapy sessions because I have a lot of my own things I want to work on. A lot of things never came to terms with, of course. It's my dad and my brother's yard site, something that I never fully processed, I believe, over the years. So I myself found a mail from therapists, thanks to Ohel and Tikva, and I meet with him about 45 minutes a week or so, and it is a beautiful, wonderful session. It's usually me just venting and ranting and raving or whatever happened that week, but he listens. 
you know, therapeutic listening, and it helps me get through the week. So they do wonderful things. They explain on their site, for over half a century, New Yorkers haven't had to handle social and emotional challenges alone. OHEL Children's Home and Family Services was founded in 1969 to provide foster care placement. For Jewish families, since then, it has grown into a full-service agency that meets the social and emotional needs of more than 23,000 individuals from all communities. They have trauma and crisis response. They have compassionate care for older adults. They have outpatient support for mental health challenges. They have housing for people with disabilities. They have respite for parents of children with developmental disabilities. They have foster care for Jewish children. Understanding that Ohel is the Hebrew word for tent. According to Jewish tradition, Avram and Sarah lived in a tent that was open on all four sides to welcome travelers from all directions. They provided an oasis of nourishment and care in the ancient desert of Canaan. Like Avram and Sarah's tent, Ohel's doors are open to everyone who needs the support and care that they provide. Ohel based Ezra explained on their site, friendship, structure, and community. Ohel helps adults and children with developmental disabilities find deep friendships. Build strong families, foster meaningful relationships, and maintain dignified employment. They provide a full range of outpatient and residential services to individuals with developmental disabilities while providing caring support to their families. Camp Kaylee, their camp, which I was Zoha, meritorious to be a part of their first inaugural weekend back in the day when I was involved in the OLB Cesar camp, it's explained as a vision to enable a summer camp inclusive of typical children together with children with special needs, ingraining a sense of normalcy and an experience for life. They have a beautiful, beautiful campus. They have a beautiful oasis there, and they have typically developing children with atypically developing children, I believe, in the same bunk together. What a wonderful way for children to learn empathy and to deal with those that have different abilities. We can, and we should offer help to all those around us. We can look at the ability of the person and not the disability of the person. We can be involved to alter the way we see everyone around us. Yeshiva University, where I went for college and I got my undergraduate degree in psychology thanks to the, the uh, Yeshiva College program. I got my bachelor's there in science, bachelor's of science, a bachelor's of arts, I believe, in, uh, in psychology. So I went there for college. They have a special program now for special individuals who want the college experience, and it is called the McCor College Experience, as explained on yu.edu. The McCor College Experience is a three-year non-degree program for young men, typically aged 18 to 25, with intellectual disability on the Wilf campus, where I went, of Yeshiva University in Washington Heights in the city. The McCor College Experience, MCE, provides individuals with intellectual disability the opportunity to be part of the YU community while gaining skills and exploring opportunities as they transition to lives of independence. The MCE is technically a day have without walls program operated by McCor Disability Services, formerly known as Women's League Community Residence, is a lifespan social services organization supporting individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities since 1978. McCor approached Yeshiva University with the idea of opening a college experience program, and the two institutions have worked in partnership to make this program a reality. Beautiful. The day begins with Jewish studies in the morning, continues with general studies in the afternoon. In addition to the many social opportunities for integration with YU students, MCE participants have self-contained classes exposing students to religious studies and liberal arts, planning for their futures after the program. The afternoon portion of the program places a heavy emphasis on a vocational exploration, with year one focusing on pre-vocational, pre-voc, 
and job readiness skills. Year two, focusing on professionalism and off-campus career exploration outings. And year three, focusing on concrete futures planning and resume building. Career planning is developed with the assistance of the student's advisement faculty and the vocational coordinator based on personal interests, skills and abilities, and employment potential. The MCE is a non-degree program. Students who complete the program requirements graduate with a certificate of completion, a resume, and a reference letter for future employment. The typical MCE student should be eager to continue with a formal education after high school, have a strong motivation to learn and gain skills, have a long-term goal of finding gainful employment, be excited to become involved in campus life, and should be able to independently enjoy campus life with minimal supervision. To be eligible for the program, the student must have a diagnosed intellectual or developmental disability, have a history of special education and our state-funded services for individuals with intellectual or developmental disabilities, and have attended a high school program designed for students with intellectual or developmental disabilities. Inclusion and social opportunities are very much a part of the MCE. The participants have access to university resources and events, learn in the base measures, participate in the campus clubs and activities. MCE students attend daily prayer with YU students that are generally part of the YU community. The McCor College experience includes residential component. Although this aspect of the program is not mandatory, and acceptance to the McCor dorm is separate form and is separate from and not guaranteed by acceptance into the college experience. Understand they cannot provide transportation for students who choose to commute. As with most colleges, meal, meals are not provided by the program, but they can take part in the YU meal program, which I did. If you wish, by purchasing a meal plan through the university. When I was there, I loved using the YU Cafe card, the meal card. I used it up to the last cent. Mind you, I don't know if I made it to the last day of the semester, but I definitely used up the card. Really good food. For New York State residents eligible for service through the Office for People with Developmental Disabilities, OPWDD. Summer, all of the tuition and housing costs can be covered through a combination of DAHAB, Supplemental DAHAB, Respite, and Community HAB funds. For out-of-state students, the McCor is a tuition-based program. Financial aid is based on 100% of private fundraising, may not be available. And staff from McCor work with families and service coordinators to see what funding and assistance may be available, and financial aid should not preclude potential program participants from seeking more information. How amazing! that my college, YU, Yeshiva University, is such a beautiful program, such a great program, such a great initiative. We see the ability of that individual to go to college, to take classes, to prepare for working life. As an OT, I love it. As an occupational therapist, I think this is fantastic and perfect for the functionality and the occupation of the individual, preparing them with voc skills and pre-voc skills, getting them ready to work for life. Truly awesome. Truly seeing ability. This is the way. Shalva is also an amazing organization. We actually bought the book by the founder, Kalman Samuels, as well, called Dreams Not Dreamed, or Dreams Never Dreamed, something like that. They explain on their website, the Shalva National Center in Jerusalem opens new doors for individuals with disabilities and their families. S-H-A-L-V-A. The center is a beacon of inclusion and an international leader of innovative programs and research and offers program services and facilities never before available in Israel. Shalva the Israel Association for the Care and Inclusion of Persons with Disabilities is dedicated to providing transformative care for individuals with disabilities, empowering their families, and promoting social inclusion. Shalva provides an all-encompassing range of services for thousands of people with disabilities, from infancy to adulthood and their families. Shalva's comprehensive life cycle programming can provide leading-edge therapies, inclusive educational frameworks, 
social and recreational activities, employment training, and independent living, as well as respite and family support. The Shalva National Center's advanced programs and facilities create new frontiers in disability re rehab. Research and inclusion, defining new standards in the field and impacting the world beyond those in Shalva's direct care. Shalva gives equal access and opportunity to all participants, regardless of religion, ethnic background, or financial capability. They also have a cafe, a band, and a basketball team we'll talk about in a second. But first, think about how H.com explains it. Believing that the care of children with disabilities should not be left to the family alone, Shalva's founders, Malkin, Kalman, Samuels, created a therapeutic environment in which children with disabilities could grow and thrive. This approach was based on Samuel's own experience with raising their son, Yassin, who was left blind, deaf, and acutely hyperactive as a result of a serious situation. Yassi's disabilities took their toll on his family. Providing him with constant loving care, they became exhausted and isolated. Many professionals and well-intentioned friends suggested placing Yassi in an institution. But Malki refused and vowed to Hashem that if he helped Yassi, she would dedicate herself to helping other children with disabilities and their families. When Yassi was eight, Shoshana Weinstock, a special education teacher who was deaf, Penetrated Yossi's wall of silence via Hebrew finger spelling. She taught Yossi his first word, Sholchan, Hebrew for table, thus creating a relationship analogous to that of Annie Sullivan and Helen Keller. Malki recalled her promise, and with Kalman's help, Shavu was founded in 1990. What began as an afternoon program for eight children in a local apartment has grown into a national center serving thousands of people with disabilities from infancy to adulthood. From the entire spectrum of Israeli society, over the course of 28 years, Shava developed transformative programs to fill needs that were previously neglected. The success of these programs has received government and cultural recognition, inspiring grassroots changes in public policy and social inclusion. The brand new Shava National Center opens new doors for individuals with disabilities and their families with the programs, services, and facilities that were not available before. It is a beacon of inclusion and a leader of innovative program and research. Adjacent to the new Route 16 Highway, the National Center has been designated by the Jerusalem Municipality to be welcoming face of Israel's capital. 200,000 square foot campus brims with cutting-edge educational, therapeutic, recreational, and vocational facilities. Six acres of inclusion parks are open to the public, allowing children of all abilities to play and grow together. One of my favorite aspects of Shalva, is the, as an OT looking at it, is that they have a cafe, a band, and a basketball team. The cafe is called Cafe Shalva, and it's a taste of harmony. It's a boutique cafe that is also an equal opportunity work setting where an inclusive staff work as managers, waiters, and hosts. The cafe's menu and management was developed in a partnership with elite culinary establishments, Dara Hagefin and Beit Zayin, and Cafe Itamar. And its interior design is artistically crafted to inspire newfound understandings of inclusion and acceptance. Come on over. You'll find the menu full with vibrant salads, rich pastas, fresh fish, mouth-watering desserts, and a restaurant staff that will etch its way into your heart forever. They've reserved a table just for you. The kitchen offers a menu of Mediterranean Italian fusion cuisine, enveloping your palate with a fusion of Israeli, Greek, and Italian classics, all kosher lemahadrin. Enjoy an array of wholesome breakfasts, rich pastas, fresh fish, vibrant seasonal salads, and delicious desserts. Take a peek at the menus and step into fresh fields and rustic confectionery shops. The band is called the Shava Band. It's comprised of eight talented musicians with disabilities who perform the highest to the highest musical standards, inspiring crowds throughout Israel and around the world with its musical repertoire and charm. The band is one of Shava's most celebrated inclusion programs. 
The Shalabin is regularly invited to perform at cultural venues, dignitary events with celebratory with celebrity artists, and is at the forefront of popular music forums. They perform at schools, dinners, various community events, Shalva events, and all over Israel as well as in the U.S., Canada, U.K., Mexico, and Russia. The band takes listeners on a cultural journey using music as a language to unite people of all countries and abilities. Concert is an opportunity to experience inclusion of people with disabilities in a positive and inspiring way to think differently about challenges, achievement, bravery, and acceptance. To appreciate the greatness made possible through motivation, hard work, and the human spirit. To discover a world where people are first and foremost people, united by humanity rather than separated by the differences. It's a path to discovery of creativity and the potential to make the world a better place through inclusion and accessibility. Look at their band. Look at their pictures. Look at their videos on Shalva.band. Their basketball team, the Shalva basketball team, is part of Hapol Jerusalem National Basketball Association's Youth League. Think Little League in a way. The basketball team is a forum for players to develop important motor skills like coordination and stamina, as well as social skills that are essential for facilitating teamwork and performance. The valuable Shalva Jerusalem partnership is based on a mutual appreciation for the social inclusion of individuals with disabilities. Weekly practices led by a Hapol Jerusalem coach. Games against basketball teams of teams with dis- typically developing patterns. Hapol Jerusalem dedicates their annual Hanukkah basketball game to Shalva. Shalva's presence at the Hapol games helps breach socio- socio-cultural stigmas and social inclusion and bonding over a common passion happens. What a beautiful way to include those with differences and difficulties and look at them with their abilities and capabilities. The ability of disability, the cafe, the basketball team, the band, all great ways to focus on an ability. In fact, Ish.com points out with Adam Ross just about this, about the band. It's one of those only in Israel stories the Shalva band, whom eight, whose eight members all have disabilities, has taken Israel's top TV talent show, Kochav Haba, Rising Star by Storm with the winner going on to represent Israel in the Eurovision Song Contest, the world's most watched live music event. Israel hosts the international competition back then when they wrote the article May 18th in Tel Aviv after winning the contest last year before that. The Shalva's band's two lead singers are blind. The lead keyboard player is visually impaired, and of the band's four percussionists, two have Down syndrome. One has a developmental disorder, and another is a disabled war veteran. The pioneering Shalva Center in Israel, where the band was born, provides services for thousands of children and young adults with disabilities. It's my favorite thing to do, says Talkima 20 at that time, who has Down syndrome and whose talent for the drums was discovered at the age of six during music therapy. Music lights up my life, says singer and percussionist Yosef Abadia, 18 at the time, who has a developmental disorder known as Williams syndrome and began attending Shalva age seven. It's through music that I can be an equal. Despite their own doubts of competing, a string of stunning performances along with a powerful message of overcoming barriers has melted the hearts of judges and audiences, captivated TV and most social media in Israel and beyond, and made the band the way the favorite to win the event. But with the final of the show a week away at the time of the writing, and millions of Israelis rooting for them, the band, which has three religious members, announced it was pulling out of the competition. Since Eurovision rules require finalists to record a performance over Shabbat, in case technical issues disrupt the final itself, which is aired live on Saturday night. In an interview with Israel's Channel 12, with the band around him, disabled war veteran Shai Ben Shushan, who has directed the band for the past 13 years, confirmed the decision to quit. I want to say a huge thank you to all of the Jewish people for the huge embrace of support we receive. The special thing about this band is that it shows that everything is possible. People don't look at their disabilities, they look at their professionalism and their abilities. 
However, we decided to leave the competition since there are principles in life that we believe in. Now we are choosing to put Shabbat first. The band acknowledged that they knew previously the winning act would have to be played on Shabbat, but they didn't consider it an issue. They didn't dream of progressing so far in the competition. Ben Shushan, a former elite army soldier, turned to music to help his own rehabilitation from a life of threatening injury. Acknowledged an idea had been floating for some members of the band to perform without their religious members, but it had quickly, quickly been rejected. We realized very quickly if we split up, we wouldn't achieve anything, he said. What the Jewish people saw in us was the magic of us together. The magic of us together. If we don't have that, it's not really worth anything. There are Haredi, religious, traditional, secular Jews among us. We represent, represent a cross-section of the whole country. Because of this, we wanted, most of all, to stay as one family. The interviewer, who was moved to tears herself, took, told the band, even now in this painful moment, leaving the competition, you are broadcasting an amazing message of the values that you believe in. In explaining the impact the band has made on public perceptions, Ben Shushan quoted the mother of a child with cerebral palsy who had written to him, sharing that for years. None of the other children in their neighborhood would come play with their son, but since the show, other children have now begun inviting him to their home. That is our victory, Ben Shushan told the band, sitting alongside him. People who weren't are now walking with pride because of you. It has given so much strength and inspiration to the Jewish people and the world over. Born in Manipur, India, Dina Samtam, one of the band's two lead singers, grew up in a house full of music. Her mother was a professional guitarist who encouraged her to start singing around the same time her eyesight began to fade. I could see until I was six, she said, but then that one day it started getting dark. When I told my mom I could no longer see, she started crying. But I told her, don't worry, mom, everything will be okay. Dina moved to Israel in 2007, realizing a long-held dream of both her parents and her grandparents visiting and being in Israel and using her music to help her settle in, learning Hebrew through singing. She joined Shalva seven years ago as a volunteer to help other children overcome disabilities. I found friends here in the band who give me strength and listen to me, she said. Joining the band has opened doors for her to travel and perform abroad. I think I found amazing things inside this darkness of my eyes. She recently told an audience at the Google headquarters in California, one of the most prestigious locations the band has been invited to perform at in recent years. They've also performed in Mexico City, Toronto, London, and Moscow in recent years, and are booked solid for the near future. We all have our difficult moments, but it's important to understand that there is much to be thankful for. I can't see, but I can hear. Thank you for the healthy legs to go for beautiful walks. Thank you for laughter. Thank you for the ability to sing. Thank you for the hard times, because only through difficult moments I'm able to appreciate all I have. Shalva, which is a second home for the eight band members, is the inspiring life works of Canadian rabbi Colin Samuels and his wife Malki, who grew up never expecting to even visit Israel, let alone set up one of the world's leading disability centers there. Until 18, I was a secular child, he said. I was on my way to travel to Europe. After finishing high school, my mom said I had to visit Israel for two weeks on the way. I didn't want to go, he smiles. But for reasons that until today I can't explain, I kept putting my return off by another week. I wound up at a yeshiva, became more and more interested. I studied, became a rabbi, and married Malki. Shavu was born after common Malki's first son, Yassi, at 11 months, underwent a difficult medical procedure which went wrong, leaving him blind and deaf. If you ever decide to help my Yassi, Malki prayed, I will dedicate to God. I would dedicate my life to helping other children. 1998, yes, he made that sudden breakthrough with the speech therapist tapped over and over symbols to express the word table, which he finally repeated, going on to learn symbols for all the characters of the alphabet. Samuel says it was Israel's Helen Keller moment, and shortly after, Malki turned to me and said, it's payback time. 
Two years later, with the help of support in their hometown of Vancouver, Shavel was born, opened their facilities for five children, which they welcomed irrespective of background. From these humble roots, Shavel has grown in ways they could never have dreamed possible. Eleven years ago, Rabbi Samuels and his wife were offered seven acres in prime real estate in Jerusalem by the Israeli government to build a major national center for disability support. At first, I thought it was beyond our ability, Samuel said, but I quickly realized you don't turn out offers like that, and we went for it. The Shalva Center today is a state-of-the-art campus with semi-Olympic therapeutic pool, an auditorium which seats 400, a range of early childhood programming for ages 0 to 6, as well as an after-school club for hundreds of children aged 6 and above, and a day center for adults aged 21 to 40. There are also employment training facilities, independent living units, family respite, including for mothers who have just given birth, and of course, the cafe. The world is familiar with Israel leading the way in the world of high-tech and startups, but the success of the Shava Band is proudly focusing the world's attention on one of Israel's other great areas of pioneering development. Authorities turned down Israel's petition to the Eurovision Song Contest to change or bend the rules to allow the Shalab Band to compete in Maine, but they've won the hearts of Israel in the more significant victory of sticking to their Jewish values and making a global Kiddush Hashem. The rise to stardom, their inspiring message of inclusivity and Jewish pride has already led to a string of new international bookings as well as invitation to headline Israel's official back then 71st Independence Day celebrations later that year. What a beautiful Kiddush Hashem. What an amazing way to focus on ability, to focus on strength, to focus on talent, to focus on unique capabilities. H.com points out from Craig Cohen. Oftentimes we hear the word inspiration. When Craig, the author, tells people about having Asperger's and working hard to improve himself, people think it's worthy of a book. They think it's inspirational because he's doing something most people don't expect him to do. But the truth is that anyone can really exceed expectations and win big in life. In Craig's experience in coaching people, the first thing that unlock the potential is to believe. You have to believe. You have to go about and you have to go moving. There was a person that Craig knows about with cerebral palsy who wanted to go skydiving. And people said, where are you going to find a place? He didn't give in. Eventually, they found a place and he had an amazing experience. Last year, Craig wanted to make a YouTube channel where he could talk about autism education with experts. People said he can't do it. People said it's not going to go. He refused to be deterred in a year and he built the channel and he even made some money from the channel. You have to believe. You also have to know that you have to want the goal. You say, I want to change, I want to lose weight. The Talmud says if you say that you tried and you failed, don't believe them. If the goal is worthy, Hashem will help you. You have to really want to put in your weight. It's important, as Simon Sinek explains, to know your why. That's a motivator. You want to do something, you go about this, and you have to know why you're doing something, how to go about it. Who's going to be your Obi-Wan Kenobi? Make sure you put your plan in action. You want something, you know the why, make sure you do it. Many people talk, but they don't do he wanted to join a cross-country team Craig did in high school, and he realized that they couldn't cut anyone. One of the reasons he wanted, he needed to guarantee because he knew he was going to be the slowest person on the team. He kept running every day, kept at it for years, knowing that whatever you want to do, you need to involve hard work and consistency. Make sure to have inspiration, but use that inspiration. Focus on the ability. Focus on what you can do. Focus on what those around you can do instead of focusing on the disability. Debbie Godfriend points out on H.com, Kyle Maynard was born without hands or feet but didn't stop him from becoming the first quadruple amputee to climb to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. In order to climb the mountain that even regular people find daunting, he needed to literally crawl the mountain with special ice picks, special snowshoes. He didn't think he could make it, but he thought about the Navy SEALs, quote, 
Not dead can't quit. Not dead can't quit. And may, eventually he made the top. He ran to the top. He also is the best-selling author of the book No Excuses. He's also a mixed martial arts fighter and a winner of ESPN's Best Male Athlete with a Disability. In 2004-2006, he speaks all over the world. And he knows how to go about it. The only true disabilities that exist, he says, are the ones that we allow in our lives. There are so many excuses. There are so many things. People can look and see the no's and the negatives. But you look at him, you can see the, the strength, the courage. How does he have such strength and courage? It's really in the mindset, how we look at ourselves. Dr. Kaljwick talks about in mindset, the new psychology of success, that it's really about the difference between the growth mindset and the fixed mindset. The fixed mindset believes that our traits, intelligence, morality, talent are all carved in stone. There is nothing we can accomplish beyond the fixed limits of the hand that life has dealt us. In contrast, the growth mindset, the better mindset, believes our basic qualities are all traits that we can cultivate through our own efforts. The growth mindset asserts that even though people are born with different aptitudes and interests, every single one of us can change and grow through learning and experience. Many studies show that the successful people in any field are the ones with the growth mindset. People refuse to allow the excuses if that's just the way it is to hold them back from their goals. So ask yourself, do you have a growth mindset or a fixed mindset? Do you have a fixed way of looking at the world and those around us, such as those with special aspects or special needs? Or do you have a growth way of looking at the world, a growth way of looking at those with special aspects, special needs? And do we look at the ability of the person and not the disability? Debbie Godfriend points out on H.com, One time she saw a well-dressed woman wave in her direction as she went into the building of her workplace to gather children from daycare. She saw the radiant smile on her face. She saw the perfectly matching outfits to her children and a glowing smile on her face. But one day that was shattered. The woman's face was radiant, but another element in her life was revealed to her that moment. Another child was also dressed well, was introduced to Debbie, but something was a little different about this child. She was also special and angelic, only in a little different manner. The child was nonverbal, wasn't using gestures to communicate. When she appeared to be frustrated, she moaned in apparent distress. Would anyone have imagined that this woman who seemed to be having a perfect life could have such challenges every day? The key is to understand, never judge, never assume. The author remembers a graduate school at Columbia University Teacher College listening to a woman who was part of a panel of speakers. She fought to hold back tears as she shared experiences as a mother of a child with what she termed a silent disability. Her child suffered from autism. Many individuals who suffer from the disability might not appear to have any physical challenges that allow them to be visibly, visibly disabled. Autism impacts the brain and the social, emotional, intellectual, and communicative abilities of those who suffer from it. Many, if not most, do not sit in special wheelchairs or use crutches, so people don't know about it. They don't see it. How would anyone really understand? But people have to look beyond and look through. Never judge. Never assume. The loving mother shared an experience of taking her child on the subway. Her son was having what she termed a meltdown. She began to hear murmurs of what a terrible mother she was. People who were unfamiliar with a disability may have assumed that she simply could not handle her child. Having a child disability can be very difficult. Being judged for the experience of challenging of raising it simply adds to the pain. Never judge, never assume. In contrast to this, the voice of a young man who suffers from CP, cerebral palsy, echoes in the mind. He sits in front of the graduate class in the specialized chair and with tears in his eyes, he had to explain that he had intellectual abilities that would make any parent proud because, again, CP might be physically limiting, but oftentimes the mental is there, the brain is there. His skills and talents went unnoticed by so many because of the physical challenges and the vision stopped there. 
He was unable to independently hold a pen in order to make an exam. But how did that mean that he lacked the intellectual to be able to complete the exam? He cried out to the class and asked why others assumed he could not attend honor classes with physical assistance. He shared that with the support of a teacher who believed in him and his abilities, his academic accomplishments surpassed many of his classmates. He was flying through school, using his wheels as wings, thanks to that one teacher who really believed in him. All you need is that one person to really believe. Never judge. Never assume. Don't judge other people. Don't look at the kan-kan, look at what's inside. Don't judge a book by its cover. Don't judge. Don't assume. People can do so much more that we credit them than we credit them for. Look at the ability. Don't look at the disability. We just have a few more articles, then we'll finish up. Sorry for going a little late, but this is a very important topic in my opinion. There's a very famous poem about parents who have children with special needs comparing the experience to landing in Holland instead of the planned trip to Italy. It's called Welcome to Holland by Emily Pearl Kingsley. Emily is often asked to describe the experience of raising a child with a disability to try to help people who have not shared that unique experience to understand it, to imagine how it would feel. It's like this, she explains. When you're going to have a baby, it's like planning a fabulous vacation trip to Italy. You buy a bunch of guidebooks and you make your wonderful plans, the Colosseum, the Michelangelo David, the gondolas in Venice. You may learn some handy phrases in Italian. It's all very exciting. After months of eager anticipation, the day finally arrives. You pack your bags and off you go. Several hours later, the plane lands. The stewardess comes in and says, Welcome to Holland. Holland, you say? What do you mean, Holland? I signed up for Italy. I'm supposed to be in Italy. All my life, I've dreamed of going to Italy. But there's been a change in the flight plan. They've landed in Holland, and there you must stay. The important thing is that they haven't taken you to a horrible, disgusting, filthy place full of pestilence, famine, and disease. It's just a different place. So you must go out and buy new guidebooks, and you must learn a whole new language, and you will meet a whole new group of people you would have never met. It's just a different place. It's slower paced than Italy, less flashy than Italy. But after you've been there for a while, you catch your breath, you look around, and you begin to notice that Holland has windmills, and Holland has tulips. Holland even has Rembrandts. But everyone you know is busy coming and going from Italy, and they're all bragging about wonderful time that they've had there. For the rest of your life, you will say, yes, that's where I was supposed to go. That's what I had planned. And the pain of that will never, ever, ever, ever go away. Because the loss of that dream is a very, very significant loss. But if you spend your life mourning the fact that you didn't get to Italy, you may never be free to enjoy the very special, the very lovely things about Holland. Sometimes all of us only think and talk about Italy, without really focusing on those in Holland. Remember Holland. Appreciate Holland. Talk about Holland. Help those in Holland. And remember the abilities of those in Holland. Rabbi Cooper Smith actually talks about this article piece, this poem piece, and explains on H.com, what happens if you land in Holland and you're so upset that you never want to leave the plane? You're too distraught to even look at the windmills and appreciate the Rembrandts. Landing here has been a terrible mistake, a gross injustice. You want to sue the airline to get your money back. Kingsley Peace does not adequately address this. She presents landing in Holland as some kind of inexplicable turn of events. Essential to overcoming the sense of resentment, the sense of anger, the sense of disappointment is realizing that God is your travel agent, your cosmic travel agent. He knows exactly where you need to fly. 
that Holland is the perfect location for those people. There's a good reason you didn't go to Italy. Holland was always meant to be the destination. Bringing God into the equation alters the meaning of welcome to Holland. It's not just you're stuck here, so might as well enjoy it. Holland is the ideal spot. It's where you're meant to be. Yes, it requires a significant readjustment. You may not understand at first why the cosmic travel agent sent them here, but he knows what he's doing. It's not a mistake. That's where they need to be. Now try to figure out why. Knowing that somehow it's for the good made a huge difference for the rabbi author and his family in lovingly accepting the challenge and raising their son with special needs. He's not saying it's easy. It isn't. But trusting that God is orchestrating events gave them the courage to exit the plane and confidence and peace of mind to face what climbed their way. God ensures that every person arrives in the exact tailor-made country in which they uniquely need to be. There's no reason to compare Holland to Italy or where you're supposed to be. And the cosmic agent hasn't abandoned you. He's still orchestrating events once you're off the plane, making sure each person is getting what they need to create their unique ultimate vacation. The rabbi author was recently reminded that this not only goes for him and his wife, but for his son Yehuda as well. He bought the game Mastermind and was at first playing with his younger, super smart son Noah, who loves this kind of mental challenge. It's been years since he played this game and was surprised how hard it could be. It took Noah all 12 tries to guess the color sequence. I'm playing next, Yehuda told him, and I'll show you how to really use your brain. Gewalt! He was all for Yehuda giving everything his best shot, but he was concerned that Mastermind was out of his league. He didn't want him to experience such frustration and failure, but not playing wasn't an option. He set up the board. The rabbi author selected his four colored pieces, which were hidden from view. Yehuda started guessing. Within three short turns, he figured out the four colors, and in two more turns, only six, he nailed the correct place, only five turns, really, he nailed the correct placement by looking over his past guesses. He aced it in five quick moves. Incredible. And he did this totally on his own without sh- with showing him only once how to cross-check. This was his accomplishment, and the author's wife and the author were so proud. And the author was also struck at how different the two games with his two sons were. Flabbergasted at how God gave each son the exact setup they needed for a challenging game respective of their cognitive abilities. Not only does the cosmic travel agent send us the ideal location, every person on the tour gets a perfectly calibrated experience tailor-made to his or her needs. Remember those in Holland. Remember they were placed there by the ultimate cosmic travel agent who knows exactly what he is doing. We need to look at those others and realize their abilities. Listen to this from H.com from Rivka Robinson. Ari Cohen from Boca Raton was born with a rare chromosome disorder called trisomy 9 mosaic. Many infants don't survive. Indeed, doctors said he wouldn't live past his first birthday. I hate when doctors talk like that. I don't know why they talk like that. Obviously, they have to be realists, but there's a way, a time, and a place to say things. And if he did, the doctor said he wouldn't walk. Today, Ari is 16 years old, recently participated in a climb for life thanks to a dream and team led by Michael Newman of Miami Beach, who in 2019 became the first Orthodox Jew to defeat a professional athlete and win third place place on the CBS show Million Dollar Mile. I cannot imagine my son will be climbing rock walls and pushing 500-pound tires, exclaimed Leah Cohen, referring to some of the obstacles Ari conquered. He was on a professional football player's shoulders. Other volunteers were holding him. You know how they say a picture speaks a thousand words? The picture of that day spoke every word Ari can't say. Suffering from spinal bifida along with other physical problems, Ari doesn't speak, but that doesn't stop Newman and his team from training Ari and other special needs youths to prepare them for an upcoming race. As Leah Cohen tells it, they said, We don't care what your disability is. In this space, we are all together. We are all warriors. If you can't do something, we're going to literally lift you and take you through the course. They literally made Ari do this course. 
When I watched him, I didn't see his disabilities, even though I knew they were there. My son was doing things I couldn't even imagine he could do. These warriors became part of our village after that day. When they say climb for life, that's what it is. He and her and Ari's excitement moved Newman to tears. A psychotherapist and elite Spartan racer, he had wanted to make a difference in the world, so he decided to use some of his $25,000 TV show prize money to start the Jewish Inspiration Foundation and partnered with High Lifeline, an international health support network for seriously ill children and their families to develop the Climb for Life wellness program. Climb for Life takes children and teens with physical challenges and pairs them with volunteers to accomplish the seemingly impossible. Instead of having others raise money by running or biking on behalf of others, I wanted to help impact these kids directly, Newman explained. You can't imagine how meaningful it is when you lift a kid in a wheelchair over a 10-foot wall. That child feels incredible. You'll be moved to tears yourself. He sheds tears of joys when Combe told him what Climb for Life has meant to Ari. Is your goal to change one person's life, she asked Newman. Well, you succeeded. My son's life has changed. It forever gave Ari confidence to get out there. And we have a whole new support network. She told H.com that the day Ari conquered the literal and figurative barrier of a rock wall was one of the best days of their lives. They lifted him, but to Ari, he was doing it. The triumph was even more precious because it came on top of a hard week with new medical diagnoses. Now Newman has set his sights in changing more lives. In April, he and his army volunteers will assist Ari and others through an actual Spartan race when it was written at the time, a series of obstacle challenges of varying distance and difficulty. As one who loves playing every sport from basketball and football to bowling and ping pong, Newman grew up Sabbath observant so could never compete against top athletes because the youth leagues always met on Saturdays. Then he found Spartan racing with times that worked for his schedule. He relishes the feeling of accomplishing the sport provides, climbing over 10-foot walls, carrying buckets of rock, I wanted to quit, but I didn't. I thought of what the feeling could do for others. He said, explaining the impetus for his foundation. Giving up doesn't prepare you for the next time you face the wall. By persisting, you learn more skills to have in your toolbox. Climb for Life not only is meant to inspire the young participants and their volunteer assistants, but also the audience. As Newman puts it, showing everyday people that anything is possible. To that end, the Spartan Race live-streamed on Facebook April 26. Cohen encouraged other parents to sign up their children. If people are not in the medically fragile world, they don't comprehend what it is like to get out to the grocery store. You need to have the medication, change your clothing, special needs stroller, fold it in the car. I want to tell everyone it's so worth it. What we got out of that day was so much more than the hardship to get there. Michael and his team totally reinstilled my faith in human kindness. The joy in their faces was almost as big as what Ari and I felt. An unbelievable unbelievable way to look at the ability and disability a moving way to help those with difficulties experience the joy of accomplishing great things what can we do to look at others in such a similar way what can we do and one of braverman points on h.com that she has a friend named val who was born with a malformed arm there was a slight kink at the elbow then it stopped no form no hand no fingers that stopped the arm but val did not stop at all she was very cheery and upbeat. She was in law school. She played baseball. She played excuse me, squash. She acted and participated in many different things. And she had a story that one day when she was backpacking through Europe, she met a young boy with a similar condition but a very different attitude. Val's parents always told her how special she was and that she could do anything. But this boy, his parents had treated him like an invalid. They gave him compassion and pity but no motivation, no sense of what was possible, no goal or purpose in life. Since they didn't believe anything was, no vision, this young man was wasting away on his couch, deprived of physical activity. Extremely painful experience for Val and a lesson for us all. So sad. Everyone has challenges and need to be acknowledged. There's certainly many occasions where we need to feel and exhibit compassion towards others, but not pity, not defeat. 
understanding reality, understanding what can be done is great, but giving them the motivation, giving them the ability, giving them the ability to have a proper aspect, not a poor me attitude, not a poor me approach, God forbid, but a just right approach. Hashem knows how we're supposed to be. Give them the ability to see how they're supposed to go with the right attitude, the right response to make us encouraged and to encourage those around us with the proper techniques, not to despair, but to understand that their vision of anything is possible. Having a positive attitude, having the positive outlook on life and those around us, that is how we can really help those around us. Ishla Khan points out from Judy Gruen that there is the idea of Yachan inclusion in the Etta Israel Center and in the Oriel Yahoo Academy that there are people who are able to include those in elementary school level. There are five base Yaakov students and one boy at Valley Torah High School who are included. They have Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, and other disabilities, and the school makes sure to include them. The school makes sure that they are cared for, and if they can't afford it, the school makes sure that everyone picks up the slack to make sure that they're part of the institution. Once they're there, they're more capable than anyone can give them credit for. They can really be included, they can really be involved, and they can really be involved in the system. It's really allowing them to be more mainstream. I myself work in public school. I've been in there for a long time, for seven years. I've worked for the DOE and the NYC. I've been a pediatric OT, and I understand that the children have special needs in IEPs in 75. You have children in 6 to 1 to 1, 8 to 1 to 1, 12 to 1 classrooms. In Gen Ed, we have 12 to 1 classrooms, which are different than the 75, 12 to 1. And there's ICT classrooms with one special ed teacher, one regular ed teacher, and Gen Ed kids. I understand that there are kids, there are different types of kids with different types of diagnosis, but they are not the diagnosis. We have to see the ability, we have to see the possibilities. And I just want to point out two last beautiful stories here on the TTL before we wrap ourselves up. H.com points out on Nisano Saffron. The flashy colored poster in the school science resource room caught Andrew Jacobs' eye. Like everything, he had read had to read it twice before he could make out the words Junior Aerospace Competition, first prize $500 cash, and an internship with NASA. Now, for a kid who was as fascinated with space travel as Andrew was, this sounded just about like the most exciting contest on Earth. He was about to sign up when a pained thought crossed his mind. Who am I kidding? I have a learning disability. I can hardly read or write without the letters all jumbling around in my head. How can I possibly ever win a contest like this? Yes, it was true that through lots of patient hard work, he had managed to make it in school and even earn top grades. But school is one thing. This would mean having to go ahead, head to head with some of the smartest kids in the state. Why can't I just read quickly like everyone else? He was about to forget about the contest and walk on when he had another thought. Whenever I had to face what seemed like impossible odds, I never let that stop me. Why give up now? Feeling determined, Andrew signed up carefully, printing his name to make sure the letters came out right and was on his way. The judges must have liked the essay he worked on so hard because he soon got a letter saying he had been selected as a finalist. They sent him a package with all sorts of chemicals and pieces and an assignment to use them to build a working model rocket by exactly following the instructions given. In three weeks, there would be a fly-off in the big park next to the state capitol where the grand prize winner would be chosen. Day and night, every spare moment, Andrew holed himself up in his basement playroom, turned rocket factory, carefully working through all of the different mathematical formulas and assembling the rocket according to instructions. If it, it wasn't an easy project for anybody, but for him, who had to work so slowly to read everything right, it almost felt like torture. But Andrew persisted it was just about finished when he came to the last instruction that said, Disassemble and recheck fuel tank to make sure you have put it together properly. Disassemble and recheck fuel check to make sure you have put it together properly. That was a funny instruction. He had assembled it just like the direction said. 
Why should he bother to take it apart and recheck it? Andrew was anxious to finish and almost decided to blow it off, but then he thought, I'm used to rechecking the stuff I do anyway because of my difficulties in reading. So why be lazy and skip this step, especially since the instructions tell me to do it? It took him a while, but he did it. Soon the big day of the fly-off arrived. Andrew and his dad drove out to the capital together with his sleek 18-inch rocket, which he had painted red, white, and blue, and named Andy's Challenger. But when he got there and started chatting with some of the other finalists, Andrew Hart sank. It was obvious that these kids were super geniuses. They threw around with some ease technical terms that Andrew had never heard of. What had he gotten into? The fly-off will now commence, came the announcement. The contestant whose rocket flies the highest as measured by our digital altitude scanner will be declared the winner. The judge, a senior narrowspace, NASA aerospace engineer, said solemnly over the loudspeaker. Andrew, who had gone to the end of the line, watched as one by one the kids fired their rockets. He had expected to see their rockets soar, but to his surprise, many of them didn't lift off at all. And those that did seemed to only sputter up a few rides, few yards and then fizzled down with a thud. All the kids seemed confused, but for some reason the judge didn't look surprised. Finally, it was his turn. Andrew got ready. Boy, if these genius kids couldn't even do it right, what chance do I have? He thought as he held his breath and hoped his rocket would at least get off the ground. He pushed the launch button and whoosh! Andrew's rocket went sailing hundreds of feet straight into the sky. We have a winner! announced the judge, smiling for the first time. He called Andrew onto the stage. Andrew, please come here! And he presented him with his prize. He said into the microphone, Congratulations both on your ability and your integrity. We see you have done your work thoroughly because the last step in the instructions had been a trick step. The fuel was designed by our engineers in such a way that only by building, taking apart, and building it again would the fuel properly burn. The other kids started to protest. But I, what, but I mean, I, what, ah. Uh, uh. The judge continued. We placed the trick step there not to trip you up, but to test you. This was only a model rocket, but an aerospace engineer who may be designing real spacecraft upon which lives of astronauts and others will depend must not only be talented, but patient and thorough and willing to put in the extra effort to go the extra mile. Our winner, Andrew Jacobs, obviously is a young man who has what it takes. As Andrew took his prize, he thought about all the kids for whom it had been so easy that they breezed through by the trick step and how he probably would have too if his learning challenge hadn't forced him to learn how to be patient and thorough. It seemed like Andy's challenger and his challenge had both helped him fly very high. Sometimes we need to be thorough in how we go about our actions and our deeds and how we look at those around us. Follow every step. Put in the effort. Look at the ability to accomplish a task fully for yourself and those around you. The greatest person in the room may very well be the one that seems like born with the biggest disability. Only by looking at the ability of the disability, the ability of the person, can we see true greatness. And listen to this very famous last story from Jonathan Rosenblum on H.com. After studying all week at Chush, Shai attends class at Yeshiva Darche Torah in Far Rockaway, New York on Sunday. At a time when some yeshivot seek to burnish their reputation by catering only to the brightest boys, Rabbi Yaakov Bender, the principal of Darche Torah, insists that his school remain a neighborhood school serving boys from across the educational spectrum. On one Sunday afternoon, Shai's father came to pick him up. Some of Shai's classmates were playing baseball, and Shai tugged at his father's sleeve, asking, Do you think they will let me play? His father knew that because of his motor coordination difficulties, Shai could not really play with the other boys. But he saw how much it meant to Shai, and so he decided to approach one of the boys to ask if Shai could join. The boy hesitated momentarily before nodding his assent. Yes. 
The fact that his team was trailing by six runs in the eighth inning made the decision easier. Nothing Shai would do was likely to affect the outcome anyway. Shai was given a mitt and went to stand in short center field as his team's 10th player. Shai's team staged a small rally in the bottom of the 8th but still entered the ninth inning trailing by three runs. With two outs in the bottom of the ninth, Shai's teammates loaded the bases. The potential winning run was due up, but the next scheduled batter was none other than Shai himself. Would his teammates protest that they should not be penalized for letting Shai play and demand to put up the next batter? No. Shai was handed a bat and pointed to the plate. Shai did not even know how to hold the bat. Recognizing how hard it would be for Shai to hit the ball, the opposing pitcher moved in several steps and lobbed the ball gently to the plate. Still, Shai did not manage to get the bat off his shoulder until the ball was in the catcher's mitt. Before the next pitch, one of Shai's teammates joined him at the plate to help swing. Once again, the pitcher lobbed a soft pitch. This time, Shai made feeble contact, sending a slow dribbler back to the mound for what looked like the game ending out. After fielding the ball, however, the pitcher threw it way over the first baseman into deep right field. Shai's teammates shouted at him, Run to first, Shai! Run to first! As they accompanied him down the first baseline. By the time the right fielder tracked the ball down, Shai was headed for second with a wide-eyed, startled look on his face. The right fielder quickly grasped the pitcher's intention. Instead of throwing Shai out at second, he threw the ball way over the third baseman's head. By now, both teams were chanting together, Run, Shai, run! Run, Shai, run! Run, Shai, run! As Shai passed second base, the shortstop hurried over and turned him in the direction of third. All 18 players joined Shai on his triumphal run home, and together they hoisted the hero, author of the game-winning Grand Slam, onto their shoulders. Shai's father was crying by the time he finished telling the story. Now he was ready to answer his original question. That day, those 18 boys reached their level of God's perfection, he said. Without Shai, they could not have done it. These children saw the ability in Shai, saw the opportunity in the game and in the day to make Shai feel like a hero. What can we do to see the ability in others? Remember that oftentimes we are looking into a cistern and missing the contents. Oftentimes we are judging the book by its cover, missing the elements of the book within. Oftentimes we are too quick to label and use words that are not person-centered, that are not person-first language. Remember how much potential is in each person, how much ability is in each person. Be inspired by all those who triumph, whether at the rocket tournament or Mount Kilimanjaro, whether on the baseball field or in singing competitions, whether on the Spartan race or playing mastermind, whether in the cafe or on the basketball team. Think about the beautiful programs out there for those with special needs, those special individuals, whether for college or for school, whether for camp or for trips, whether for Shabbatons or for programs or events. See the individual for the ability, not for the disability. If we could somehow learn to do so, the whole world would be better off in so many beautiful ways. This has been the TTL, Tani Talks Life, where we talk a topic per session with some practical lessons. Join us next time as we talk another topic, and I'm your host, Tani.